Welcome to the Trevor Turnbull Show, where you'll hear vulnerable, honest stories that will inspire you to embrace your mess and live your best life. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the show. My guest today is Ron Tite. Ron is a speaker and author. He's also the founder of an agency called Church and State. And I met Ron about five years ago. We were actually both speaking at an event together in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, which is my hometown. And it was just really great to catch up with Ron again and have a discussion that kind of circulated around fatherhood. So like most of the theme was really talking about, you know, what it means to both of us to be fathers and how our childhood influenced how we are as fathers now. Both of us are older fathers. Ron's, you know, pushing in his early 50s. Of course, I'm in my mid-40s. I'm 45 right now. And, you know, Ron had an amazing post on LinkedIn that he published about a month ago, which was the reason why I reached out to him, where he talked about the role of a father and how you don't have to necessarily be a biological father to actually be a father figure in somebody's life. So we dove deep on that. Ron told some amazing stories. He's an incredible storyteller. So he told some stories about his dad. He told an interesting story about his dad's ashes. His dad has now since passed away. And ultimately, you know, how it all tied into the underlying message, which is around leadership, which is around, you know, showing up with accountability, which is ultimately how you can really lift other people around you too by being vulnerable. And where vulnerability actually has its place in the workplace, as well as in the content that we create and publish and put out into the world. So this was an amazing conversation that not only had a very personal attachment to it, a personal touch to it, but there's also a lot of business lessons to learn here for anybody that owns a business, that leads other people, that's in a sales role. I think you're going to get a ton of value out of this episode. So let's go ahead and give it a listen. All right, Mr. Ron Tite. Good to see you again, my friend. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Trevor. It's been it's been, I think we were just saying like four, four, five years, maybe. So yeah, great to great to see you again. Yeah, we were backing it up and saying that well, we both have two kids now, and my oldest is four, and we met before then. So it's gotta be at least five years ago. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think so. For sure. And that was, of course, in Saskatoon where we first met. And um, just to give everybody a little context, so Ron and I, I didn't know you before that, but I knew that you were on the docket and you were actually keynoting, like speaking right after me. And I did a little research on on you beforehand, and I was like, oh, I kind of like who this guy is and how he's showing up and what he's saying. And then we just bumped into each other on the in the restaurants. And, uh, you know, I remember thinking afterwards that um, I'm so glad that I went before you because, like, you're an amazing speaker. Um, the way that you storytell and the humor that you bring into it, I was like, whew, I, I wouldn't <laughs> want to follow this guy. <laughs> well, that's very kind of you. I think that's like, you know, 20 years of, uh, you know, on the stage as a comedian and that's, it, it, yeah, it, um, it helps. It helps. Yeah, no doubt. Um, but regardless, it was still uh, a pleasure to meet you then. And obviously we've just kept in touch virtually um, online and whatnot. I don't think we've seen each other in person since then. And obviously not within the last year, but, but of course our lives have 
evolved and changed over the last like four or five years, especially with the kids and whatnots. And, um, you know, I'm an older dad. I know that you are as well, too. You I'm know, an like older, I'm, older dad. If you're an older dad, I'm an older, older dad. Yeah. <laughs> so both of our kids are under four right now. Yeah. And, um, you know, I was telling you before we hopped on here that like one of my driving forces for doing this podcast is to just have amazing conversations with people that I admire, that I know have stories to tell that really speak the truth about like the journey that is life and all the things that we freak out and panic about when we're younger and realize like, man, that wasn't that big of a deal. And and then even the real things that we experienced through childhood, right through to now being parents and all the stuff that comes with us. And I just figured we'd have a really great chat about that. And I know that, um, you know, you shared a story on LinkedIn about uh, what it means to be a father. And that was the, really the thing that triggered me to go, oh, I got to talk to Ron and, and, and bring him on this show. And I'll just say one more thing, and then I'll maybe get you to elaborate and talk about that post and what it meant to you. But, you know, there's a quote that Brene Brown said that is, one day you will tell your story of how you overcame what you went through, and it'll be somebody else's survival guide. And that's another grounding piece for me is to like, Let's just have some real, honest, vulnerable conversations of like, and in this case, about fatherhood and what that actually means. And yeah, I'd love to get your thoughts about, you know, why you wrote that post and maybe give a little context to what you said there too. I know it really exploded. There was a lot of engagement and feedback on it as well. Yeah. And I don't, I don't remember why I wrote it. Like I, it's, you know, they're just, that's kind of the process, right? Sometimes you just, you have a thought of something and I, um, and it's like, what is, I ask myself, like, what does this have to do with business? Because if it's not, then I'll just, I can share it to Facebook or something. But, and so the paraphrase of the post, if I remember correctly, was, you know, my dad was given the title of father, but left after a year and never paid a dime of support. Um, and um, then my, you know, my mom, you know, uh, lived with a, a, a guy, my stepdad for over 25 years. So he was given the title of stepfather. Um, but the reality was he was an alcoholic, like a raging alcoholic. And, you know, my mom passed away in 2001 after being in our lives for 25 years. I think he borrowed like $2,000 and then he borrowed like $4,000. And then he asked for $5,000. And at that point I was like, you know, I, if you want to have a traditional father-son relationship, like we can do that, but th- you should know that this is not how that those are built. And so, no, I'm not going to give you any more money. And, um, and I haven't heard from him since. You know, there was a guy who was a father figure in my life for 25 years and never heard from him again. And so the, you know, the, the thinking was, you know, like, look, all the people who actually played a fatherly role in my life, and I'm talking my two brothers and my sister and I, my cousins and my uncles and aunts and and teachers and coaches and, you know, a camp director, Steve Hannon, all these people who played a fatherly role in my life weren't given the title. And they didn't want the title, but they played the role. And I think that's such a, you know, a, a great guiding force for people in organizations to say, like, you don't have to have the title of vice president to act like one. Just do the right thing. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to have somebody report to you to mentor them. 
you know, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to be responsible for somebody to be responsible for somebody. And, you know, that, and the people who don't have the title, I think have a significant, a greater impact and a, a more significant of an impact on people when they don't have the title. But so, you know, certainly I um, had a lot of, you know, uh, people who stepped up as fathers in my life to, um, to play that role. And it, I, you know, some of those people I, I still talk to today and um, they still inspire me and, and, and mentor me in a bunch of different ways. Wow. How do you feel that's impacted you now that you're a father too? What's, uh, what's kind of, you know, come with you from that childhood experience to now being this dad of two young kids and how you choose to show up every single day? Well, I don't show up every day. I mean, it's maybe one every third day. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, I can relate. I can relate. Yeah. We could use the extra uh, sleep too. Actually, after the last year, I'm, pretty, I'm here every day. Um, no, you know, I feel, and this is the growth of it all, right? Like I just turned 51 last Sunday. And so I'm, a, you know, an older, older dad. And growing up, I wasn't angry at my dad or, you know, or bitter or anything like that. But over time, I certainly understood it better. I understood the challenges of fatherhood. I understood that we're all complicated people. We really are. We're all complicated people with deep, dark pasts. And, and we could we should never judge somebody by our lone interaction with them. So I did have a chance before my father passed away. Um, I went to him and said, you don't get to die without us having the conversation. Mm. So I went to Florida. He was living in Florida. I went to Florida and we went to a ball game and I said, let's hear it. You left when I was one. You didn't pay a dime of support. We never heard from you. It was intermittent throughout the years. There were tons of broken, like so many, un, you know, broken promises that never came through on stuff. What up? What happened? And to his credit, on his deathbed, he came clean. He came clean with all of it and gave my mother all the credit in the world that she deserved. And so that, I think, was a really interesting growth opportunity for me to go, you know what? Like, it doesn't absolve him of the responsibility and, you know, but he was fully accountable for it. And it made me just see him in a, you know, in a, in a different light. And he, he said, and this is a little bit harsh. He wasn't the most articulate person in the world, but he said, if you ever think of leaving your wife and children, put a gun in your mouth because wow. um, he said you, the, the pain that you feel. And he had described it as saying, look, like you, you, he said, I left. If you, if you leave your wife and children, then a week goes by and you haven't spoke to them. Your first thought is what kind of father are you that you haven't spoke to your wife and your, you haven't spoke to your children in a week. Like, and so that weighs on you. And so you're, you hesitate to reach out because there's, you're, you're, you feel guilty. So you don't, you know, you're, you're a chicken to, to, to reach out. And so it, then it becomes two weeks and then it becomes a month. And next thing you know, you're six months in and what kind of father doesn't speak to their children in six months? So it's just this growing guilt that eats away at you for years. And he said, the good thing of dying is that I won't have that guilt anymore. 
So, you know, that really kind of shaped things for me. So now that I'm a dad, I think it, I, f- I really feel blessed. I feel blessed that I had that shitty childhood because now I know, I, you know, I kiss my kids every single day, multiple times. I, I say I love you to them more times than I blink, you know, um, I just, I always want them to know that I'm here and that I, and, and that I love them and I show it um, because I didn't, I didn't get it. And, and I also know that at this age, it's, it's just like ambient noise to them because I'm always saying it, but at some <laughs> point in 20 years, they're going to appreciate it. I appreciate you sharing that with me because uh, it just provides even more context to that. And of course, I'll link up this post that you're talking about. You basically articulated it exactly how you oh. wrote it <laughs> yeah. without even looking at it. So obviously, it's something that was very personal and um, well, you know, well known to you internally. And uh, I just resonated with it too because I was just thinking like my my parents split when I was really young as well. And my mom was the one that actually ended up leaving and we have an amazing relationship today, uh, but there was definitely a time period for a good 20, 25 years where I don't, I had only seen her one or two times, you know? And there was a point where we had to have a discussion, and, and there's been a few of them since then, right? As, as there's been some, kind of some healing along the way of, like, why, did, why, you know? Why, why? That was it. It was just like, I, I don't understand, you know? And what I've come to find was that, like, my parents in particular were like 18 and 20 at the time when we were born. And I think back to when I was 18 and I was like, could I have handled that? <laughs> you know, nope. I was like, oh, God, you know, like not a chance or, or like who I am today would not be the same person. And then I just had a lot of empathy for what, what they both went through. Right. But it was a very similar thing where, you know, there was a full acknowledgement and an understanding of like, you know, she said, like, you're, thank God your dad was there to step up. And it just created a whole new level of relationship for us, too. Even though we have this history, there's an appreciation of that experience that's now, I, I feel the exact same thing you're saying, too. Like, I kiss my kids constantly, and we're, like, just so close, right? And again, the driving force for this is to just be able to tell them that, hey, you know what? You're going to look back and not realize that you've got a pretty amazing childhood, you know? And not everybody does. So have empathy, understand that you don't always know what people are going through. And I think maybe this even resonates uh, with you and how you are as a leader with your team and your company as well, wouldn't you say, as far as knowing that everybody can mentor everybody? Is that something that you share with your team as well? It's not, you know, all hail the hierarchy of your company. It's like, no, we're all leaders. Is that yeah, fair we're to all, say? Yeah, totally. I think I think it's tricky in organizations, right? Because, and I just said this to somebody this week where I said, I really want you to, to help this junior person out. Um, I think you can teach them a lot. And I, But I said, and please don't think I'm trying to get you to fill a role, but pay you for a more junior role. You know what I mean? Like, I want you to... You know, I'm paying you as a senior art director, but I'm asking you to be a creative group head or associate creative director kind of thing, right? So you have to ensure that when you when you have expectations of somebody that you actually pay them for the job that they're doing. Yeah. Um, but I just, I just, you know, I know that when I look at all the people who I really admire and the people who've done well, however you want to define success, they're the people who have done that. They're the people who don't care about that stuff. They don't care about their title. They just do what they think is right. And eventually the title catches up to them. 
opposed to waiting to be given a title and then you kind of, you know, you grow into the title. Like, no, I think it should go the other way. I think you should already be there and the title should be an acknowledgement of what you've already done. Yeah. It's kind of like a baseball player. You don't get paid for the contract. You paid for what you did, not for what you will do. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think that that probably transcends into even how you hire and, and promote within a company too, right? Like if you inherently have those those the intangibles of just, you know, being helpful. Like I know in my, like what I do right now too is very heavily sales focused. And there's so many ways to do sales too. And I've done all different angles of them, pre-social media, now with social selling and everything else. And, you know, there's a lot to be said for like being a closer and being able to just get business done and stuff. And like, I don't align with that at all, I very much take an approach of like, look, there's a process to actually closing a sale where you can't get bought into somebody's limiting beliefs and the stories they tell you. But there's another part that's like being very truthful. When you know that you can't help somebody, you tell them. And doing what's not necessarily in the contract or what is expected even because it's the right thing to do and just helping people, you know? Yeah, totally. And I don't know if there's, that can be taught for sure. That can be mentored, right? And you surround yourself with more people that are like that. And I think it just kind of radiates through um, the company and the people that you surround yourself with. So, yeah, I think, I think the vulnerability piece too, right? The vulnerability piece can be really helpful. We had a, a moment, like we had a holiday celebration kind of thing, you know, back in December, like a virtual thing. And our team has been virtual for the whole year, obviously. Um, and they've killed it. Like they've just done an amazing job. Everybody. I'm so proud of the entire team, but we were having this fun little thing of like, what's your favorite meeting? And, um, because weird stuff has happened, you know, in zoom environments and stuff. So I said, what's your favorite meeting? And people went through all their, you know, favorite meetings. And then someone said like, what about you? And, and then I started to choke up and cry. Um, and it was this really uncomfortable pause as I gathered myself because I said, you know what? Like, I don't know what you guys went through at the beginning, but as an owner of the agency, as a partner of this agency, my first thoughts were, are we going to survive? Are our clients going to spend? Like, I have no idea. We just need to save as many jobs as possible. And when we had our first pitch, you know, two or three weeks into uh, the pandemic and we won it. That was the favorite thing. I re- just realized maybe we're going to be okay. You know, maybe we were going to be okay. And, and I cried in front of the team and, um, and it was weird for them. I think, you know, that they, because it was, you know, to have a leader kind of, and I wasn't like sobbing, <laughs> but it was, it was very clear. I was taking a moment to collect my, myself. Yep. And then I apologized and people said, shut up. Don't apologize. That, was a real moment. And that, you know, that's what I think we need to, yeah, I think we just need to show that to people, um, especially being what we've been through for the past 15 months or whatever. Yeah, 100%. And we were chatting a bit about that before we went live here too, about like, what is, you know, is vulnerability accepted in you know, the work environments. And when you look at these different platforms like LinkedIn and Facebook, like LinkedIn in particular, you know, how much is too much? How much do people guard themselves and don't share anything personal or anything vulnerable and instead just robotically share Harvard Business Review articles? And you know what I mean? It's 
What's your thoughts on that? Because I know we were talking about that quickly, and I'd love to get your thoughts on like what, where do you feel vulnerabilities places in the way that content is created for a company and for an individual? Yeah, I think, you know, there are some people who that's all they do, right? They just, it's just constant outpouring from their heart and, and that's fine. But I, I, I think that it begins to um, become ambient noise to use a particular term I just used, right? It was just like, it just becomes like, oh, that's your thing. That's you just, you do, it's kind of, it's a repeat of very similar messaging and that gets old fast. And I think we need to, like that vulnerable emotional part of ourselves as human beings, that's a part of who we are. But there's a million other parts to who we are. There's a whole bunch of different things. There's the, the there's the Harvard Business Review thing. There's the I love comedy and music and there's that stuff. And there's family life and there's all these pieces of me that make me the complete business person that I am. And so I think we should share some of each of it. And, and then if it's something like a LinkedIn, like you need to take those experiences and then like to ask yourself, like, what does this have to do with this audience? Like, why does this audience want to hear this? So if it's a vulnerable thing, then what is the connection to business? Like, why does that matter to people? And if it's about music, why does that matter? Are you using that as a metaphor? Are you looking at the business of it? So I think I try and break it down that way. And I don't have a, a calculation. I don't have an equation of like, you know, six parts of this and four parts of that. I don't, I just naturally share stuff that is, uh, uh, it just, it's, it's, it's an organic process for me, but I think the vulnerability can still find its way into those posts about the Harvard business review and stuff. And I think, you know, that we can say, you know, we can declare, um, uh, and disclose our biases. You know, I just wrote a piece on uh, Christian Ronaldo and the Coke, you know, debacle. I saw that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And I just, I felt like I did like, hey, I'm a big fan of Coke as a marketer and as a consumer. Yeah. Right? Like, I'm a yep, big yep. fan of it. And so I think <laughs> we need to declare that up front. So that's how that kind of that personal stuff can find its way into pure business podcasts or pure business content. And uh, so it's like, it's an honesty about where our thoughts about that really specific business subject come in. Well, I appreciate you sharing about that. Cause I find, cause I'm constantly like, I have my own personal brand as do you. And then we have our companies and whatnots. And there's this weird dichotomy between the, like the business brand and the personal brand and how much vulnerability from the business and how much from the personal. And obviously I think the weights shift a little bit when you talk more personal, but you know, I've seen the impact of it even too. And I've seen the parts that are very authentic and the other ones where it feels kind of forced, like you're trying to tell a lesson and a story. And um, and you kind of never know where the balance is of what's going to resonate either until you put it out into the world. Like I put a photo up, I think it was a couple of weeks ago of my son looking at his little fish. He's got a little beta fish now, right? And it's kind of their first pet aside from the dog that existed before they were here. And I wrote an article about, or just like a post about responsibility. And I tied it back to like, you know, the fact that he has this responsibility now, but the fact is, is that he doesn't know what to do. So he has to lean on me as somebody that can guide him, mentor him, tell him what's right, what's wrong. He needs to trust in the process and the person, right? And just kind of tied it back to like what we do and who we serve and how we serve them. And that one really landed, right? And I've had a few flops along the way too, where it's just a little forced and 
it's really an interesting piece because you even see it in the corporate world. And I know you do this with your agency. This is one of the core pieces is as like a storytelling agency is how do you tie the emotion into the brand, right? That's probably one of the greatest, um, would you say that's probably one of the greatest strengths of your agency is like really being able to, the storytelling aspect of how a brand can resonate with their their target audience, the consumers? Yeah, I think we, you know, given the, na- the name is Church and State, so we just kind of believe that, that at the heart, like it's not about whether it's an ad and it's not about whether it's content. It's just, you know, people used to vote with their wallets. Now they vote with their time. So how do we just win that battle for time and, and stop putting the, t- the, you know, the the limitations of, well, this is an ad, so it has to act this way. Um, you know, any ad can be a great piece of content. If it's good enough, it's a great piece of content. And any piece of content can actually be an ad if it's responsible and authentic enough. It can, it can do that. Yeah, but it's interesting, you know, your point where you said sometimes it feels forced and stuff. I think there's also an honesty about that, which is like if someone criticizes something I say or the tone of something, I'll be the first to say, yeah, I don't always get it right. Yeah. Like I don't, I just don't, I know I'm not going to get it right all the time. And there's been times, I mean, I remember I'll tell you the story because it is a very re- relatable to this podcast. It is a story about my dad. Mm. And I thought the comedian in me wanted to explore something really, really dark comedically. And the business person in me thought that there was a leadership message in that. And I thought, I'm going to tell this story on stage. Now, typically I would workshop stuff or I'd, I'd write a post about it and see, does it work? And like the, you know, the mechanics of it to make sure that I get it right on stage. But at this point I was like, no, I'm just going to do it. Two to 3000 people, the art of leadership in Toronto. Um, I'm kicking off the morning for a slate of wonderful speakers. My agents in the crowd with a, you know a client who wants to book me for something and I said to him before I'm going to I'm going to end with something new and if you and if you if you have something new you don't end with it <laughs> right. you don't end with something new you but you put it in the middle just in case right I'm going to end with it cuz it's the only way to end you can just end with it so this was the story and I think I almost got it bang on but not quite but the story was um that I uh, you know, a couple of years ago, I um, got a call from uh, an EA who, who said, um, somebody would just called the office looking for you. And it was this person's name. And I said, I don't, I don't know who that is. And she said, yeah, no, she said you wouldn't know her. She, you wouldn't know who she was. But she has your dad's ashes and wants to know what you want her to do with them. Wow. Okay, so that's a shock. So this was, say, two years ago. My dad died, I think, in 2003. So it's a big gap. So then you have to, so that's the like, what? So now that's the storyteller, right? I need to to lead with that and then backtrack. I'm leaning in now. What happened? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So like, how does that, okay. So then I back up and I go, okay. My dad died in 2003. um, And my, my dad left, you know, our home when I was one in 1971. And was intermittently in our lives. And we always referred to him as Bozo. Like, that's what we thought of my dad. We'd say, like, oh, Bozo called. And it was just a pet name we had for him, a nickname. So my dad in 2003 dies. We get a call from my oldest brother who says dad has passed away. And um, 
and they, he didn't want a um, funeral. He just he just wanted to be cremated. So okay. Um, so I jokingly said to my siblings, like, "Fuck, you guys want to meet for dinner or something?" Like, I don't know. This seems weird. <laughs> we just don't do anything. <laughs> yeah. Seems so like we did three of us some closure here. Yeah. So three of us met for dinner. Um, and, um, now what you need to know about my dad was my, my mom was his first wife with four kids. He got married a second time and had another daughter, my half sister, Joanne, then got married a third time, no children. And then a fourth time, no children. So the four wives. Yep. After my dad passed away, wife number two, Rita also passed away. And then about, I think it was about six, seven years ago, my half-sister, their daughter, the two people who had just died, their daughter, sadly, also passed away of a, a heart condition. So the parents and the daughter have now passed away. She had three kids and a husband who is now, you know, a widower. That husband, who I barely know, that husband goes out and gets a girlfriend. And then he is committed to an institution after a breakdown. So this girlfriend has three children of her own. She has now adopted his three children, the children of my half-sister. She doesn't know anybody. She just arrived here. She starts selling his house, starts selling his truck. She discovers he has a storage unit. And in the storage unit are the cremated remains oh my of Lord. three people. And not all mixed together, like in three separate boxes, right? My dad, wife number two, Rita, and their daughter, Joanne. She somehow finds an aunt, a sister of Rita, the wife, calls this woman and goes, I got these three people's cremation remains. That woman goes, we'll take Rita and Joanne, but we're not taking Ron <laughs> Sr. Oh right? Yeah, yeah. So... So she's left with a dude named Ron Tite. Yeah. She Googles Ron Tite. Finds Ron Tite. Finds Junior. <laughs> yeah. And goes, I've got these, at, like, what the hell do you want to do? So I say to her, well, well I, I finally talked to her and I go, well, I don't want them, but man, like, you shouldn't have to deal with this. Where are you? So I live in Huntsville. Okay, I have a cottage near there. You know what? I'm going to come and I'll pick up Dad. Right. So we exchange my father <laughs> in the parking lot of a Tim's, Tim Hortons on Highway 60, like a bad drug deal. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> I take the box. I put it in my car. As chance would have it, my three siblings were all coming to the cottage that weekend. I sit them down, just the four of us, and I go, guess who's in the car? <laughs> and they had no idea? No idea. And I'm like, oh my God. bozo's in the car. Wow. And they're like, what? So, and it was this growth piece of like, I said to them, look, he was a human being. We didn't like him. We didn't let alone love him, but we didn't like him. But he was a human being who deserves to be treated with dignity and respect. And so we're going to bury him. Uh, not on my property, but in the ground land. In, yeah. In, you know, in the bush. <laughs> and, we, and no word of a lie, okay? No word of a lie. We bury him. We go back to the cottage, and as we enter the cottage, the song playing on the radio was Another One Bites the Dust. Oh, wow. So I thought, like, that's a great story to tell. It's a very vulnerable story. 
um, that I loved exploring the comedy of it. Yeah. And then it was like, but what's the connection? It was like, you know, that's the leadership moment, which is like, as a dad, I don't want to be the person who's, who's like, nobody wants my roommate. Like nobody wants that. And so when you lead people, like it's through your whole career, it's through your whole life of all those interactions that, that lead you to a place. And what is that place? Will people speak glowingly about you or will people not? And, and it's every day and it's every week and it's every month of how you show up and whether you show up or not. And now, you know, like you can't, you, you can't put that in the middle of a speech, right? You have to end with that. You do have to end with that. And, and, and how did it go? How was it received? It was received well. I mean, I think, I think it was a little clunky. It was the first time I was telling it. And the back end was like, and I, I think I said something like, I think leadership is about love. It's what it is, loving people. You know, and I'm like, oh, maybe that's a little bit forced. But, <laughs> but an interesting piece of content and certainly a nice way to wrap a speech. Yeah, I love it. And a great lesson as a father. Yeah, 100%. I appreciate you sharing that with me here. <laughs> um, and I and I stayed along with you the whole way there too. I was trying to like put the tree together here. I'm like, wait a second, it was your brother or your sister? And then, yeah, then, it's it's a complicated yeah. one, right? Like you need a <laughs> you need a map. Yeah, yeah. But I think again, that's I think that's one of the things I admire about you. And obviously, we've only met once in person and have kind of just stayed in touch online. But there's definitely an art to storytelling, and it transcends in all aspects of like just ultimately having your message be heard and land. And I think. That that's what landed for me there is that like, yeah, I get that. That does, that does tie back to even ultimately why I'm doing this. You know, it's like, what do I want people at my funeral? Do I want people to be talking about me? How do I want my kids to think about me? Right. So we're very much aligned on that. Ron, I've got a lightning round that I want to run with you here okay, too. And awesome. then and then and then we'll wrap things up. And by no means is this meant to be like one word answers. Feel free to elaborate on whatever you want. But um it's around the same theme, which is all the power of one. Okay. So actually, I ironically have the book right here. This has uh, been an impactful book for me, The One Thing. Yeah. And um, is something that's, you know, we it's a grounding principle in our business for me as an individual and everything. So that's what these questions are all about. All right. So number one, who is one person slash mentor that has been the most influential in your life all time, would you say? Other than my mom and family, who I think is almost a given, but um, I would have to say a camp director named Steve Hannon. And camp was a really um, huge and influential role in my life. Just the, the role that camp played. If we could never afford to send me to camp. And so I went as a staff member and, and it just opened up this whole other world. Um, of people and culture and things that I did not know existed. And it pulled me from my kind of working class bubble. And Steve was a huge part of that. Yeah. Well, and ties back to that story, right. Of also a father figure in yeah, his own yeah, way too. Exactly. Yeah. Who is one person, person slash mentor that you would say is most influential in, in your life right now? And it can be a number of people, but is there anybody that comes to mind? My wife is an incredible human being and we're very different. Um, you know, I'm right brain. She's left brain. She's in healthcare. You know, she does really, really important work. She's a manager of an emergency department at a hospital. 
And I'm just in awe of um, what she does and how she does it. And, um, you know, to, to, to use a, uh, an old Jack Nicholson line, uh, you know, she makes me want to be a better man. <laughs> hey, it's good to have women like that in our lives. I would say the same thing. And my wife and I are very different too. Um, she's, we refer to it since we're in business together on a lot of things too, is that I'm the, uh, creative and she's the, um, integrator. <laughs> she's the one that like ties up all these loose pieces and these crazy ideas and actually makes it into something that can get some legs underneath it. So it's nice to have that. All right. What is one philanthropic cause that means the most to you and why? Well, I think given the the topic of discussion, you know, any, um, well, you know, my friend and I, Mike Bukovetsky, just started a not-for-profit uh, called Hannon's Heroes after Steve Hannon, that camp director. And we just, both of us had such an incredible experience at camp. And we thought it would be a shame if, like, in, as in my case, that kids who could benefit from it couldn't afford to go. And so we just started it and we're, we're launching a fundraising round in, in, um, in the fall to prep for next summer. But I think that is, you know, is something that was really, it was so important that I was like, I want to start, um, a not-for-profit that specifically serves that need. Amazing. I'll make sure to link that up. I actually thought you might answer the million reasons run. Cause I was looking <laughs> in here too, and seeing that, uh, back in May, that was something also that you got behind. Um, where funds were raised for children's hospitals, right? Yeah, that was, um, and we do a bunch of work as an agency. So we created that run on behalf of um, Sick Kids Foundation and all the children's hospital foundations across the country. I'm incredibly proud of that because it was the first year it launched and we raised $2.2 million for, um, for children's research. And, um, but like, it's tricky, right? Because we also do work with Scouts Canada and um, we're rebranding, uh, no, I can say that actually, Confidential, rebranding another big charity. <laughs> but um, they're like children. Clients are like children. Right? You can't say which one is your favorite. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what is one thing that you're most grateful for right now? I'm most grateful that as difficult and as challenging as this year has been, I know, I know, I know how lucky I am um, that I get to work from home and I get to do this. And, um, you know, we had a was shoot at Walmart the other night, an overnight shoot. Walmart's one of our clients. And as we were shooting this stuff, you know, there were all these uh, Walmart associates who were restocking shelves for the next day. And they've been in every day. And they've been, you know, they've been there serving the public helping us get our most crucial needs, food. Um, and um, uh, when I looked at that, I was like, man, every day, they come in every day. And, and they've done it for the past 15 months. And I'm incredibly grateful that that people have been willing to do that. Um, and also feel very lucky that this is how I get to make a living. Yeah, totally. I often uh, joked around with my wife at the start of all this pandemic saying that like, I feel like we've spent 15 years preparing for a pandemic, literally like working online and becoming an entrepreneur and trying to figure all that stuff out. It was just kind of like, okay, nothing really changed. <laughs> it was just 
people just got more used to doing video calls and like it was almost as things almost got easier and there's a lot to be grateful for with that right like it didn't just happen overnight but I appreciate you sharing that. What is the one thing you're most curious about right now? So something that you maybe have uh, want to dig into a little bit more and don't know enough about. Uh, I've just started kind of writing some stuff that I'm just calling now what growth's what. And it's just, I think we're at such a really critical time and that we've spent the last 15 months constantly adapting, right? We're just adapting our businesses and adapting our lives at at various stages of the pandemic. And then, you know, one dose into two, like all that kind of stuff. And, and then the fall, I think is going to be like, the door is going to be open. And, and so what, what is that going to look like? And what is going to be important for business and for employees and for clients? And, um, well, I don't, ever want to be or claim to be a Nostradamus. I, you know, it's not about forecasting, but it's just going to be like, what's going to be important and what's going to stay and what's going to leave and what's life going to look like. And how do we grow as people? You know, cause I think the, our initial reaction will be like, Oh, okay. If we survived that. That will last for a day. And then it will be, what have you done for me lately? And I think there's huge opportunity. I think there's wonderful personal and organizational opportunity ahead, but, what does that look like? And how do we go about, you know, achieving it? Yep. Yeah. I know in, in the business world, like I do a lot of calls and work with a lot of clients. There's a, there's a momentum right now at the, as of the time. Cause this is like just before father's day weekend that we're recording this. And, uh, you know, I see people going back to conferences and high five and, and hugging and like, there's just so much momentum and it's just going to be really interesting to see how this plays out the next three to six months. So I agree. I'm kind of in the same boat of curiosity of like, what's going to go on here? What can we learn from the past that's going to tell the future? All right. Last question. What is one thing that scares you right now that you know that you need to face with bravery? Hmm. Health. Mm. I th- you know, and not that, you know, I did have like a little bit of a health scare earlier in the year and that everything was fine in the end, but um, I think health is, um, what's weird is I, I did a phys ed degree, which you probably, that, like people are like, what? So yes, <laughs> I did a phys ed degree. But I think we've, uh, many of us have been sitting at a desk um, for far too long, uh, 15 months. I would typically do between 70 and 75 keynotes a year. So I was always on the go. Like, yeah, that's a lot. You know, and um I don't know what effect this is going to have on us. And I've been trying to get a little bit more walks and runs and stuff like that. But yeah, I think that, um, I think it's something we need to pay serious attention to health, mental health and physical health. Yeah. 100%. Well, let me just, uh, acknowledge you and, and just, I appreciate the honesty, transparency, vulnerability, authenticity of, of telling these stories that you did here today. And, um, I always enjoy our interactions, Ron. I know we've only had a couple of times to really connect and talk, but uh, I feel like we've had similar backgrounds, ironically. And, and you know, I take a lot of inspiration of from how you show up and the way you are as a speaker and a leader and the way you storytell and that type of thing. So I just wanted to acknowledge you for that and, and say I really appreciate you taking the time here. Well, thanks, Trevor. Respect goes both ways. I will never forget the lunch at the Cavalier Hotel. There you go. Saskatoon. Yes, the Chevy Cavalier, the Sheraton Cavalier. <laughs> yeah, that's right. 
So where can people uh, find out more about you, connect with you, uh, see what you're up to? I think go to rontag.com or churchstate.com or just connect on LinkedIn. I share a lot there. There you go. Perfect. Well, I will link up that LinkedIn post we were talking about down in the show notes here as well so that people will be able to find you on that. So again, thanks so much, Ron. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And thanks to everybody for listening. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Trevor Turnbull Show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please consider subscribing on my YouTube channel and on your favorite podcast platform and leave me a review. I'd love to hear from you. Now, until next time, remember, today is a beautiful day of opportunity. Trust that you're exactly where you're supposed to be right now. So be grateful, be curious, and be brave. 